There is more things happening in our life than just what we see, than just the material world. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemp. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the book of Hebrews today. We're on the last chapter of Hebrews as we continue learning what God has said to us as he speaks to the Hebrew people. It's very, very good, very interesting. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey, what's up? So because the book of Hebrews looks back into the Old Testament and Old Testament history, the last couple of days, that's what you and I have been doing. Today, we are going to be taking a look at the bread of the presence. Ryan? Well, you know, in Hebrews chapters three and four, the unknown writer takes makes several references to entering into the Lord's rest. But just what does that mean? Well, more on that later. Excellent. Very good. Janice, what'd you do? I'm asking a question. How are we doing? All right. There you go. We've got a lot to cover in the next 28 minutes. So let's open up our Bible and open up our Bible. Guys, let's look at what God's saying. Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews 11 to 13. This is a fascinating read of Scripture as we consider the Word of God. Now, those who do not know God will live very differently than those who do know God. Our moral conduct is shifted significantly by our way of thinking. When the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life, He, the Holy Spirit, changes the way we think. In fact, He changes the way we reason. Now, the first six verses of Hebrews 13 explain everything we need to know. When we make contact with God and yield to His will in our life, our priorities change and we begin to place our life decision in the hands of the Lord. Well, as we read the Bible and pray, two very important things. These decisions are made clear to us. We no longer choose to serve ourselves only, but to take care of others, to love our neighbor. Now, these ideas have been communicated from the foundation of all of life. Now, the Word of God is interesting. As we study the first part of Hebrews chapter 13 today, it's consistent. It tells us and reminds us that there have been 12 previous chapters that explain the divinity and the soundness of Yeshua HaMashiach, or that is, Jesus the Christ. 
Now keep that in mind, and as we focus today on that, I would ask you to turn your Bible guide to today's passage because this is very important. Moral conduct. I'm talking about moral conduct in a day when there is none. And that's very important. Everything's legal now, pretty much. Uh, Hebrews 13, 1-6 is what we read. And as we read that and turn your Bible guide there, if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? You should write for yours. Or you should call for yours right now. And I encourage you to read the Bible and pray. Both. Read the Bible and pray. We do that every day as well. But read the Bible and pray. You must read the Bible. And I encourage you to do so. Go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the Bible guide. It will take you to a place where you can download it and see exactly what we're doing here, and then much more as well. Father, I pray today, as we look into your word, that you would speak to our hearts. In fact, Lord, help us to hear what your word says, to guide our conduct. We have to be different people than just normal human beings, because our spirit's alive, Lord. There's so much we can be. If we would simply say yes to you and say no to sin, help us, Lord, to turn our ways towards you. In Jesus' name, and everybody who believes me and wants to go that way, said together, amen and amen. Now, let's carefully read the first part of this, just a few verses here. Let brotherly love continue. Okay? The writer of Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget, don't forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. What? What's the Bible saying? It's saying that there is more happening in our life than material things. The divine mind, the mind of God is in full force, beloved. We must daily choose between the divine and the human. Every day I get up, I remember that today is a day that's not just human. Now my body, as it gets older, it aches and pains and all that stuff. But I need to remember that there is a divine purpose that is in my life and God has called me to divinity and to fulfill what he says. That's why the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make earth how your heaven is. And let me tell you something. Ask yourself this question when you watch the news tonight. Is earth like heaven? I don't think so. We must pray like never before, beloved. God is going to come back and make it that way. It'd be better if more people were saved as a result of that. We must pay attention to God. Hebrews 13, verse 3. And watch this now. He says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, just like they're you, yours, just like you understand them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Persecuted Christians are being tortured daily. 340 million of them, according to Open Doors Ministries. We must pray for the persecuted church as if we were with them and they are with us. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not down the street. It is. And witnessing for the churches, but it's around the world. I say it this way. I don't pray for the persecuted church as much as I pray for the worldwide church. There's a lot of Christians under communism 
in China. China's desperately trying to get rid of them. And they're being tortured. Some killed. North Korea not even, don't even think about it. They're the worst. And then there's 97 million Christians, roughly, in Nigeria. And then there's 67 million Christians in India. We should pray for them, beloved. So pray for the persecuted church or pray for the worldwide church every day. And then pray for your own needs. Very important. Hebrews 13, 4 to 6. Watch this now. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, how much do we watch that on TV? Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God said that. Jesus Christ said that. I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I will not fear. That's what it says. What can man do to me? It's <laughs> a really good question, you know. Bottom line is we must put all of our trust in Jesus Christ. God will help us. I like to say it this way. I try to live a life of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And some people will call me simple and make fun of me and whatever. That's okay. I don't care. Because I love the Lord and the Lord is real. I know he's real. And I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter how educated you are. Everybody needs the Lord. Every single person. We need to make sure that we learn daily to trust in the Lord. Physical ailments, persecution, things on the outside. But we need to learn to trust in God. I can't think of a better time to say this than after a worldwide pandemic. After a worldwide virus, the contravirus. I mean, this is amazing. COVID-19. You know, God is not afraid of the virus. He's not. But we need to remember that we live our lives in faith and prayer to God. God has provided ways for us to avoid it, but we need to pray in Jesus' name. Before we do anything, we need to pray, Lord, help me, protect me, but help me to get to others who have the problem and help them as well in the name of Jesus Christ. And let's pray that. Let's make sure that we begin to live our lives in faith and not in fear, according to the Bible, which is what it says. Today, you and I are going to be focusing in on the bread of the presence. Now, this is something from the Old Testament time period, just as the New Testament book of Hebrews looks back at the history specifically of the uh, tabernacle and the temple and the Levitical sacrifices. So I want us to go back and focus in on some of these aspects as well. So again, like I said, today, bread of the presence is on the table. 
A key element of Israelite worship was the bread of the presence. It was considered one of the three holiest regular actions in Israelite worship. These three holy actions all took place in the sanctuary of the tabernacle and temple, the area closest to the Holy of Holies, and were carried out by the high priest exclusively. These were the lighting of the golden lampstand, the burning of incense on the golden altar, and the replacement of the bread of the presence on the golden table. All these actions represented parts of the covenant that God had with Israel. The bread of the presence symbolized God's provision toward Israel. It was also connected with the Sabbath as a perpetual ordinance. On the Sabbath, the priests switched out the bread of the presence. The week-old bread was then consumed by the priests in the sanctuary, as it had been made holy by being in the presence of God. It's also connected to the manna, or bread from heaven, that God provided for Israel during their time in the wilderness after the Exodus. In Leviticus chapter 24, we learn that each loaf of bread was to be made with two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour. This is the same amount of manna that the Israelites were to collect per person in preparation for their Sabbath in the wilderness. The measurement works out to be around 7 pounds, or 3.2 kilograms, per loaf. The bread of the presence consisted of 12 loaves arranged in two piles of six on top of the golden table. The loaves are also called the bread of the piles, the continual or regular bread, and holy bread. Their number seems to represent the 12 tribes of Israel whose provision is always before the face of God. So entrenched was the symbolism of the bread with the provision of God that it later became a saying in Jewish tradition that if one wanted material blessing, they should point their feet north when they prayed. The table of bread was oriented on the north side of the sanctuary. In First Chronicles, we learn that the Kohathite family of Levitical priests were tasked with the special service of baking the bread of the presence. Its shape, recipe, and arrangement became quite the center of later tradition. While most modern representations of the table of showbread are rather straightforward, a table with a golden rim around its top, modern Judaism has kept the tradition that the loaves were separated by golden reeds or rods adding support to the unleavened bread. These are envisioned and depicted as movable shelves. To the table built during Moses' lifetime, the Bible tells that King Solomon added ten more to his Jerusalem temple. Ezra may also have had to remake a golden table after the Babylonian exile, and the apocryphal book of 1 Maccabees tells us that Simon Maccabee also had to make a new table after it was taken by an enemy king. Finally, the history of the table of showbread ends with its depiction on the Ark of Titus being carried off to Rome as booty after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So there we go. Uh, that, you know, Hebrews really gives us this opportunity in the middle of the New Testament to take a look back at the Old Testament and remind ourselves of some of the imagery and some of the symbolism that's so rich and so deep and really so ancient. Uh, on tomorrow's program, we're going to be jumping back into the time period of the New Testament as we go through uh, the book of James. We're gonna be talking about you know, who James is, how he was related to Jesus, if he was related to Jesus. So I hope you're able to join us on what's tomorrow's it, program. And, and what's interesting about this is that the bread of presence was made by the priest. It was, and, secret recipe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was handmade. But mm -hmm. today, of course, all of our bread that we buy in stores and whatever Ever, is made by machines mm -hmm. and they're mass made. Yes. And we've lost the idea of handmade bread. 
Yeah. And you've got a, you've got a, I mean, not unless you get a bread maker. <laughs> Which is still machine. You can still do make bread by hand, but I don't think you'll be able to make it like the priests did because it was a a, a guarded recipe and a passed on tradition from the priests who were responsible for making it. So the priests were given the commandment by God to guard the bread, and that means that is definitely a secret that nobody can get. So... (laughs) There you go, right there. Okay. Maybe it tasted like the bread I used to grow up on in Sudbury from Golden Grain Bakery. It was pretty good. And we would pick that up on the way home from church every Sunday morning. Well, there you go. That for lunch. Good. There you go. That actually, I'm getting hungry. That sounds really good. Uh, Ryan, what's going on? Yeah, well, I know today's assigned reading is Hebrews chapters 11 to 13. But in my segment, I want to actually focus on chapters 3 and 4. And in this section, the unidentified writer makes many references to entering into the Lord's rest. But just what does it mean to enter the Lord's rest? Well, just as Hebrews 2 looks back through Psalm 8 to Genesis 1, Hebrews 4 looks back through Psalm 95 to Genesis 2 in order to answer this fundamental question. Check it out. In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, the writer's overarching theme is entering the Lord's rest, which he makes mention of several times. But just what exactly is the theological definition of the Lord's rest according to Hebrews? The unidentified author builds his theology using other key scriptures. As a matter of fact, we see this in the very first mention of God's rest in Hebrews 3, 7 through 11, which is actually a quote from Psalm 95, 7 to 11. In these verses, the psalmist is also looking back to Numbers 14, where God denies the wilderness wandering Israelites entry into his rest because of their unbelief. In the immediate context of Numbers 14, and in that present situation as it related to the Israelites, this rest referred to the inhabitation of the Promised Land, which included peace, safety, and security all around, with God's presence in their midst. However, a major point David is making in Psalm 95 is that this rest was still available in his time, meaning that the entrance into the Promised Land could not have been entrance into the ultimate rest of God. Likewise, the writer of Hebrews, by quoting Psalm 95, makes the point that God's promise of entering his rest still stands today. Thus, the rest offered to the desert dwellers in Numbers 14 was a promise much greater than just real estate. As Hebrews says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. So if this wasn't God's ultimate rest, then what is? To answer that important question, it is imperative to understand the greater context of Psalm 95. While the immediate context of verses 7 to 11 was God's rejection of the unbelieving Israelites, the psalm as a whole is about God's right to rule as king because he is creator of everything. This contextual key regarding God as creator is critical to understanding what the Lord's rest truly is And the writer of Hebrews builds on this by expanding his biblical theological base even farther to include yet another foundational passage of scripture, Genesis chapter 2. It's fitting that Hebrews reaches back to the very origins of the heavens and earth for the origin and definition of God's rest. As Genesis explains, God created everything in six days and then on the seventh day he rested from all his works and sanctified it as a Sabbath rest. This Edenic state, then, is the very definition of God's ultimate rest, according to Hebrews and the rest of Scripture. 
Although mankind was initially created into that perfect rest, our fall into sin spoiled that. Nevertheless, since that time, God in His great love, mercy, and grace has been working through Jesus Christ to bring us back into that rest, which will be a restoration of that perfect Edenic state. Thus, the rest offered in Numbers 14 and Psalm 95 was only partial, as it previewed and prefigured the ultimate rest in God to come, which was inaugurated through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thankfully, God still offers us this coming rest today for anyone who believes in His redemptive work through the person of Jesus Christ. So entering the Lord's rest ultimately refers to the restoration of the Edenic state before the fall of mankind. It's the complete renewal of the heavens and the earth, the new creation. Even though that rest is still yet in the future for those obedient and faithful to the Lord, Christians like the Israelites under Joshua get to enjoy a partial rest right now. Because as soon as one puts his or her faith and trust in God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ, he or she immediately enjoys a rest of conscience because they know that they will never be brought into judgment for their sins. And then later, Christians will enter the Lord's ultimate rest when he restores all things. But unbelievers beware, rebellion and disobedience will result in rejection from the Lord's rest, just like it did for those to whom it was first preached. Turn your life over to Christ today if you haven't already. Come and enter the Lord's rest. You know, this is really something because Hebrews is a brilliant book and mm -hmm. it's like a magnifying glass going all the way back to the beginning yeah. before sin. Mm -hmm. And then in a sense, it's good to know Hebrews for revelation. So it's mm -hmm. really, really something. Absolutely. Excellent work. Thank you. Okay, Corey, uh, uh, Janice, Janice, that I'll would be me. I know, it's all, it's all right. We need name tags on some days. Well, this book of Hebrews is really intense and packed full of information. This particular section of Hebrews chapter 13 talks, he's concluding moral directions in our lives as followers of Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ. My question today was, how are we doing with that? You know, the writer of Hebrews here is talking about how we should live as believers and to be content not wanting what others have because we have the Lord Jesus. He quotes Psalm 118.6 when he says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So let's go back and look at what he was quoting from in Psalm 118. We're going to start at verse 6 and go to verse 9. He, here's what the psalmist said. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So the psalmist and the writer of Hebrews reminds us here that our confidence and our trust as believers should be in God, the Lord Jesus. We must remember who we serve and live and react accordingly. Our moral conduct is a part of our testimony. It's representing our Father in heaven. I love verse 27 of the same Psalm 118. It says this, God is the Lord and he has given us light. You know, we're called to be light. It says that in Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16. Listen to this. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, 
and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, as light, we point the way to reconciliation with God, and we reflect God's character, for He, Jesus, is the light. We know that from John chapter 1, that Jesus is the light of the world. So just these little tidbits here from the book of Hebrews for us to follow. I think it's important to remember that when we talk about Jesus Christ, these tidbits from the Old Testament and from the all New of Testament. that, mm -hmm. they all synchronize together. They and do. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. And that statement is made and a lot of people say, well, how did he fulfill the law or whatever? Or, but think about all the things that Hebrew talks about. You know, the, the, the word of God is a sharp double-edged sword able to divide and all that kind of thing. And Jesus Christ fulfilled all of that. And he will still fulfill the rest of it. When you look at things like Revelation chapter 19 and you look at all these things, there's still some things to come that are talked about in Revelation and hinted at in Hebrews. Very, very interesting. And I think, too, in some, some of these days, you know, they, they're rather intense. And, uh, you know, with the things that are going on globally and, and within churches and everything that's happening, sometimes it's easy to get our focus off mm -hmm. and to become weary, to become disheartened. And we need to remember that Jesus Christ is with us, that he is our light and we are his representatives and we need his help. We can't do this alone. That's why we have Jesus. That's why we invite him into our lives to help us to make those decisions, to help us to know how to act and react and be those wonderful ambassadors for him. And so we have to keep our eyes focused on him. We need to remember, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God is our guide. He is our helper. And we don't need anything else. We don't need to covet what somebody else has. We have the best. That's Jesus Christ, and he has given himself for us, and we need to give ourselves to him. Today, I'd like to remind you that we are live in a prayer meeting at 3.30 to 4.30, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern Standard Time in the U.S., which is New York time. And if you can, make time to join us. We'll pray for you. Right now, we need to pray. And we pray, Lord, I must trust you. And Lord, I got to trust you alone. Help me to learn to do that. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen.